Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and that produce disciples of Jesus Christ to, in turn, disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries, a small part of your apportionment dollars at work. This past week, I had the opportunity to to meet and to interview Reverend Talbot Davis, who is the pastor of Good Shepherd United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he's been for 19 years. To tell you a little more about Good Shepherd, they average about 2,000 in attendance in worship on a Sunday between two campuses. Talbot is an Abington author of uh, numerous books. Um, one of the things I found out about Talbot in in our discussion is we actually have a, a lot in common. We're both Asbury Theological Seminary uh, alums. Um, Talbot and I both share a, a hobby, and that is tennis. Um, he obviously much more uh, advanced than I, at least at least in his his career. Um, and uh, we also share a connection at Southern Methodist University. So I had a great time with uh, talking with Talbot, and I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Well, Talbot, thank you so much for joining me today. And we're going to talk about uh, life groups and small groups. And I'm excited to hear about what you've got going on at Good Shepherd United Methodist Church. Uh, so tell us a little more about life groups, what that looks like, how that got started. Yeah, well, I'm really glad to be here, Scott. And we have, a, I would say, a two-pronged approach to life groups here. We have about 75 ongoing through the week life groups that meet. Wow. And we are uh, blessed because compared to most churches our size and style, we do have the capacity on Sunday mornings to have life groups on campus on okay. Sunday mornings. Most churches like us do them only off site sure. only in people's homes but we have about 13 or 14 that meet on campus on Sunday mornings at either 8 30 or 10 or 11 30 and actually those are our strongest and most enduring hmm, and uh, years and years ago we were advised do away with Sunday school no, you're not cool yeah. anymore and <laughs> we dug in our heels and said nope we're going to make that hour work because we've got the architecture for it and and we've done it and and they refer to themselves as life groups they don't think of themselves as Sunday school classes so so that works, and then we've got uh, another fifty or so that work that meet in people's homes. Okay. That, that again, eight to twelve people meeting consistently, either every week or every other week. And uh, then this this newer approach. So that that's just sort of the steady seventy five life groups okay. that we got. And then a newer approach is called a, a G three approach: grab, gather, and grow. Okay. And that has uh, been published by Jim and Jennifer Coward. It's actually an Abingdon book, that, a model that they've been using down in South Georgia. And that's just this radically decentralized approach to life group leadership. And it's where the church provides the, all the resources, all the curricula, the video, everything. We make it and we produce it. And we, we publicize it for three or four weeks before the series sermon series even starts. Okay. And I ask anybody in the church who wants to pick up, grab some material out in the lobby after the service, you grab some material, you gather some friends who don't go to this church and either at your, where you work or in your family room at your house or at Starbucks or wherever, 
you gather those people and you go over this easy to use curricula and then you grow in your living relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we did that back in February and we went in one series from having 70 life groups to having 185 mm. that met during that series. Now, mm. not all of those 185 have stayed together. Sure. But it's very helpful to remember those are people who aren't more than likely, they're sprinters. They're not marathoners. Mm. And they're not going to be in a long-term life group anyway. Mm. And a good chunk of them don't go to this church, but it was an introduction to the church and an introduction. We hope and we pray to the faith. So okay. we're going to do that again in October and, and hoping for 200 life groups in October. Mm. And we will produce our own curricula and shoot some seven minute video teasers that every life group can use. And, and it will be based on the sermon series then as well. Okay. So as I understand that, so we'll, we'll, is the hope that some people will go from the, the G3 model into a longer term life group? Is that? Uh, yes, that's one hope, but the, the bigger hope would be that they would stay together. Gotcha. And just become a longer term life group that we would, uh, it, it's, it's kind of the opposite of you got to train up a leader for a long time and then release them. It is saying, no, we think you have leadership potential in you now mm. to be able to facilitate a life group and take this material. We made it easy on you to do it, take it and, you know all kinds of people not connected to this church who we don't know. And mm. you leverage your relationships and introduce the kingdom that way. Mm. Now yeah, that, that, it, it, it's radically decentralized. And for those of us who like to control things sure, yes. and make sure that people are prepared, it's, it, it's a leap of faith. But I loved it. Okay, so it's gone over very well. And it sounds like that f matches with the culture of your congregation. It's something that you tried to instill there is a culture of invitation. Yes, our, our mission is inviting all people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And we say that all the time. Mm. And our, our goal is for the invited to become inviters. Mm. And so if we can invite people even into leadership, Hey, you're sitting out in the congregation today and you don't think of yourself as a leader, but we see it in you, mm. then they're suddenly empowered to become inviters themselves. And I, I loved getting emails during that series from a woman who, who uh, was leading a group of three or four other women at her office. And just, she would give me updates on what they talked about. And again, these are women by and large, not connected to church. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I so can it's, imagine. It's kind of, it's a way of discipleship and evangelism at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the emphasis is on evangelism of, of an in, invitational and, and just re, reaching people who might otherwise, we would be put off or would, wouldn't even know about. Coming right. Into a here's, an, here's an interesting study that I'm looking at. Would you like to have these conversations with me? We got videos, we got a little booklet, and you can follow along. Mm. Okay. Yeah, interesting. And, and for uh, smaller churches who maybe can't produce their own curricula, yeah. the same model can be used with any any number of different curricula that you could buy, whether it was from the United Methodist family or whether it was an Andy Stanley curricula, one of his video teachings. All kinds of options are available to you. We just we, we just really believe in our own series around here these days, and so sure. that's why we produced our own. Sure. 
Well, and, and, and they're, you know, the, the long-term listeners of this podcast know uh, well, how we've talked about curricul curricula and curriculum and, and, and the usefulness of them. And sometimes maybe not as much, but sometimes they can become the crutch. Um, but oftentimes what's needed is just simply being together. Yes. Right. Of, of, of just being in the same room, of, of having some conversation. Um, one thing that I'd like for you to talk a little more about is your own participation in small groups and how that's helped you to cast a vision for small groups in your Yeah, church. yeah. I, I'm currently in three of them. I'm in a wow. men's group that meets of every other Wednesday. And then I'm in a young adults life group, 18 to 28-year-olds. Mm. And they also meet every other Wednesday. Um, uh, they both meet at my house wow, and, cool. and I don't have the gift of hospitality, which is ironic, but my <laughs> wife travels a lot with her job. I've married well, okay. and she's a VP of sales and she travels a lot. So our house is available on Wednesdays. And I, uh, the young adult group has just been really pretty remarkable because they're very faithful in their attendance. And I, I think they're glad that, uh, uh, the pastor wants to pour into them and, and, um, so I, I love being in those two groups. It's really hard for me personally to be in a group and not be the leader, even if I'm not mm -hmm. technically, technically the leader, people look to me for leadership and some pastors might be more adept at avoiding that than I am, but I just sort of can't help myself. So those two groups I lead. And then on Thursday mornings during the school year, I lead a life group of primarily, primarily retirement age people with some exceptions and that's been going on for years and years and years. And it, early on, it was my way of saying, you're not going to get your music, but we love you. And <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we love you to the point that I'm going to lead a life group with you. And th those have been, partly it's a function of age and, and just what I like as well. Those have been very content heavy, curriculum driven mm, sure. through the years. We've done all the disciples and all the short term disciples and and a yep. lot of the Epic of Eden stuff from mm -hmm. Seedbed. So the, the people just really like it all. And they like being together. Uh, good. No, that, that's a big part of it. So how has your participation as the senior pastor, how do you think that has um, helped other people participate or invited other people to participate and see it as a vital part of their own discipleship? Yeah, well, when I can, and I probably don't do it as much as I should, but when I mention it in sermons that what my life group or groups mean to me, I usually it has to do with my men's life group mm -hmm. uh, that, that I'll invariably get people either wanting to be in mine or how do I find out more? And I, I probably honestly, Scott, I haven't leveraged that as much as I should have. Mm -hmm. I, I probably, when I'm, when I'm really disciplined about it, I'm, I'm putting it, putting it in almost every message. Mm -hmm. And then I wow. forget then I forget for a while and it, it's probably time to reconnect with that. But yeah. And, and just knowing that I believe in what I'm talking about and do what I'm talking about it impacts people. I, uh, we also have a, a strong recovery community oh, okay. here. One of our campuses uh, for a number of years, it was a kind of a dormant Methodist church hmm. and all the facility was used for was AA and NA meetings. Oh, okay. And so we're, we're still the landlord of that recovery ministry, but we want them to know we love them. And so I will go to open AA meetings hmm. on occasion. So will our campus pastor. And uh, what I love about an AA meeting is the, the sharing makes it obvious 
that if those folks didn't have that meeting, they'd be dead. Mm. And mm. when I'm in that meeting and I'm hearing that, that rawness and that urgency, I'm yeah. always like, what would it take for a life group to have that same sort of urgency? Yeah. Now, I don't want people to go through a DUI or an night <laughs> in jail to have to get there or to lose right. their family. Right. But something about, about Christian community, we're all recovering from something. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 some, and we're all powerless over something. Right. And, and so that's really my, my heartbeat, and I haven't figured out how to make it happen. Yeah. In, in life groups across the board. Yeah, I think that one of the key dynamics we've talked about is how do you build vulnerability? Yeah. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you get to that place of trust where people are willing to be vulnerable with one another? And I like the way you said that too, right? Of, of just the urgency of, boy, I need this meeting. It's not just that yeah. I want to go or I feel like I need to check it off the box. Boy, I just, I really need it. And, 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 and you know, the great tension between vulnerability and oversharing because <laughs> oversharing will kill a life group yeah. faster than anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so again, that's another balance that I haven't figured out. Cause like my young adult life group, there always seem to be new people. And, and so how do you, how do you gauge sharing levels mm. with folks who don't know each other? Well, yet? yeah, true. Yeah. That's, that's a good, good, dynamic, good balance you have to, to, to give there. So can you say a little more about what y'all learned about life groups? You've been at Good Shepherd for 19 years now. Well, yeah. what have you learned in this process? Yeah. The, I would say the main thing that we have learned over the last decade or so is not to try to copy other churches. Mm. We, we went, I, I, I like to say that I got a, had a church crush on another congregation <laughs> in another part of the country. And I just decided we're going to be them. Mm. And, and that even went to how they did life groups, which was, which was intentionally um, sort of thin in discipleship and look for people only with good social skills to lead, not no sort of biblical meat to it. Mm, interesting. And, and yeah, we, okay. we adopted that and, and, and also do them only short term so we okay, adopted that. That. Yeah. that was just one of many ways that we were not good at, we're not good at church copycat. Mm. And God has given us a unique DNA. Right. And once right. we were able, after sort of that failed experiment, to tap into our own DNA and recover, discover who we are and who are we? Oh, we're inviting all people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. We discovered that, uncovered that, and that's when we regained our traction and momentum. Okay. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good word for people to hear is just because it works somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to work here. The, right? There might be some elements. There yeah, was a, a book that was very influential for us called Church Unique, oh. written by a guy named Will Mancini. And I just love what it wasn't called. It wasn't called Church Copycat. Okay. It was cool. It was called Church Unique. And in, and in our case, the, the two primary elements of our uniqueness were the fact that we're multi-ethnic and the church we were trying to copy was not. Uh, and that we, we are very open about the Holy Spirit. We have people who pray in tongues and we have healing services. And we believe that the charismatic movement and the Wesleyan movement are really one and the same. And we, we've never shied away from that. And, and, uh, and yet in trying to copy someone else, we, we'd hit all that under a bushel. Oh, and, interesting. And Church Unique helped us shine a light on it. Kind of claim who you were. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Now you said that part of, of who you are is multi, multi-ethnic. Yeah. Can you say more about that and how that looks in life groups, any, any unique uh, dynamics as a result of being a multi-ethnic church with, with life groups? Yeah, we have about 40 different nations represented on a Sunday. And, um, and that includes, of, of course, a lot of African-Americans, but a lot of continental Africans, Latin American, just really all over the world. And in life groups, we have tried to be intentional in both in leadership and in, in sort of uh, funneling people who are towards life groups. How can we make sure that this life group mirrors the diversity that we have in our congregation? Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, our, our Spanish-speaking life groups tend to be Spanish speakers. So sure. they, they would have national diversity. Again, most Anglos think, well, Spanish speakers are all the same. And, and say that to an Argentinian <laughs> and a Salvadoran, and you will re- realize very closely that they are every bit as stratified and class-conscious as, as every other culture. So even within their community, they're multi ethnic just by being multinational mm. and and yet they're not multilingual mm. but um my my young adult life group has it has racial diversity and and of course with that generation it's not really an issue mm. because that's just the world that they live in we're also located in a section of charlotte that has a lot of natural diversity just in our housing patterns uh, people say that charlotte is segregated but not in our section Okay. And that's really contributed to us becoming the kind of church we are. That and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, <laughs> Ephesians 2 lets you know that, that making one new man out of the two, as it says, is the work of the Spirit. That's right. It's not the work because I'm so clever. It's been a, something that God has done. Yeah. So has there been any particular dynamics that have arisen because of have, being multi-ethnic in small groups? Has, has there been anything that's... Um, been a challenge? Not really. Maybe, maybe uh, just because I know in one of my own groups, the people getting a little bit political on Facebook. No, and, uh, really. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen that before. Yeah, that, that's been the only issue that I have run across. And, and this is why our staff, we have about 30 people on, on full-time staff here. We are not allowed to make political posts on social media. Mm. And because the gospel itself uh, can be uh, divisive enough just to mm. tell people you're a sinner and you need a savior. Mm. <laughs> That's divisive enough. And we don't, so we don't have our, our staff aren't up there parroting who talking about who they voted for commenting on the latest political crisis. So that is, that's been the only area where we've had uh, just a little, and again, it hasn't been a lot. Mm. And, and I think Scott, um, We've been very intentional that diversity is not our goal. Okay. It's not our cause. It's the result. Mm. The cause is inviting all people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. So when Jesus, people don't want to rally around a result. They want to rally around a cause. Mm, Interesting. And if they rally around a result like diversity, it will be paper thin. Mm. It'll be sort of an enforced political correctness, trendy, fatty, won't last long. But when they rally around a cause like Jesus, whose, whose blood is shared, shed equally for all, that has staying power. Hmm. So we're, we're real, real overt about that. Hey, our diversity is cool, but it's not the reason we're here. Hmm. 
Interesting. I want to give you just a second to, to first to, to pastors. What would you say to pastors who are struggling in their churches, trying to develop small groups? What, what would you say to them? I would say get in one mm. and lead Amen. it. Lead Amen. it. And nothing will happen. You, you, every, 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 all of life is about steps and nothing will happen without you taking that first step of leading a life group. That's beyond a Sunday school. Hmm. And uh, I remember the, the other, I've only had two appointments in 28 years and the other one was in the nineties. And, but one of the best things I ever did was lead a couple of disciple Bible study mm-hmm. 34 yeah. weeks using a VHS table. Oh, yeah. Been there, yeah. But it wrote, it grew leaders and uh, grew a, a, a contingent full of biblically literate people. Yeah, and that's what's needed. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Good. Well, I know you're also an author of, of many books that a number of small groups have used as curriculum. I, I, in fact, I recently read your book, uh, Crash Test Dummies. And I, I certainly would recommend it. I, I really liked how you made the book of Judges, one of the, the least preached on books, at least from, from my experience. And you made the book and the characters come alive and be very relevant to today. Oh, thank um, you. So it was, it was very relatable, really, really appreciated the book. Can you say a little more about how those books have been used by small groups? Yes. Uh, they, uh, the good thing about the and, and there are five of them crash test dummies being the most recent all of them have self-contained leader cues so you don't have to buy a separate leader guide the every chapter has discussion questions and reading assignments built right in and so the whole group can buy the book and uh then they they get to the end of it and the leader just leads in the conversation and all the all the questions say for further conversation. Hmm. And I just find that for one, you don't have to navigate two different books in your hands. Right. It's cheaper. It's all right there. So we have the leader cues built right in as well as five days worth of reading assignments for, for every chapter. The great thing is most of that material was just adopted directly from what we do at Good Shepherd. A lot of our life groups, whether my sermon series get turned into books or not, Mm-hmm. A lot of our life groups, that is their content, is the sermon, and and the, we make questions for them every week. It just happened that in the occasions of these books that Abingdon turned those questions, expanded them, and turned them into life group curricula. But I, I, love, I was just at our Western North Carolina annual conference meeting last week. And uh, yeah, it's a head rush when people come up because this has only been going on the last three or four years. But people come up and say, yeah, I used your book in our in our Sunday school class or in our life group. And and they appreciate the ease of use. And also that the one on judges has been quite popular because you said it exactly right. People want to avoid judges. And, And when I was starting that sermon series that became that book, I thought I was the crash test dummy. (laughs) <laughs> thinking that I could make a sermon series out of judges. Yeah. And then when I realized, Oh, there, there essentially isn't any good news and there are no heroes. That's, and that's the very point. Mm-hmm. That's how I was able to make sense of the, of the sermon series, which then turned into a book. Well, I don't, you know, we both are Asbury alums. I don't know if you had, this may have been uh, after your time, but I had Dr. Bauer and took historical books. Did you, he that- was, I, I had, um, Dr. Thompson, 
Okay. Who was a colleague of Bauer, but Bauer was my, oh, you'll love this. Bauer was my academic advisor all three years. And on my first book, Head Scratchers, Mm -hmm. he was a back cover endorser. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since I took the historical books and we covered judges, uh, I had flashbacks to, to being in Dr. Bauer's class, which is a wonderful experience for me. And, uh, you know, you, you hit the nail. I mean, not only did you make it relevant, you were very true to the biblical story. Yes. Right. I mean, and then that cyclical pattern you find in judges. So I definitely uh, would commend that for groups who, who are looking for a curriculum and do use that. I definitely would, would recommend that. That was and, and crash good. test dummies drive, headlong into a wall and then get out of get out of that car get into a new car and drive into the same wall which is exactly what israel does in the book of judges the same dumb ridiculous thing over and over again yeah well and and my son just got his learner's permit yesterday so that has special meaning to me (laughs) too but yeah very very good anything else you would want to say about life groups uh, or just in words of encouragement to churches uh, trying to start or restart small group ministry sure well and if i can touch on the diversity piece again and please speak to pastors uh, i i encourage pastors don't try to build a diverse church Mm. build a jesus church Mm. and diversity happens Mm. And uh, in, in the same way, don't seek to start life groups or grow your life group ministry just so that you can say you have a bigger ministry, but Amen. so that more people can be more deeply connected to our risen Savior and returning King, Jesus. Yeah, very good. Well, well said. So thank you so much, Talbot. This has been a pleasure. Thanks, God. I appreciate it. Well, I'm sure you... Um, like me, appreciated what Talbot had to say. And, and I want to share a few of my thoughts about what, what Talbot said. Uh, I'm sure you have some, some thoughts as well. I'll share mine. I, uh, one of the things that, that initially um, stuck out to me was him talking about the, the G3 model or the grab, gather and go model for small groups. It's something I've heard a little bit about. I, I would love to hear what the listeners of this podcast, what, what your experience has been with it, because I've heard mixed results. I've heard uh, those like Talbot who've used it successfully, and I've heard from others who it didn't go as well. Uh, and I'll give a few quick thoughts uh, about it. Uh, this is some initial thoughts. I can't say too much, so I'll give some initial thoughts. And I think there's there's some good to it and, and some challenges. The, the good would obviously be it's very invitational and easy to use. And I think that works very well in the culture that Talbot has created there at Good Shepherd, where they have an invitational culture. I wonder, though, in churches that might not have as much of that in their DNA, how that works for them. Um, one of the challenges for me, and this is probably says more about my control issues than anything else, is is you have to wonder um, what exactly is, is being taught. And if, if things don't go well with without trained facilitators and people have bad experiences, will that... Um, make people more hesitant to to go into a, a future small group. Um, but again, the, some other positives would include uh, the fact that I think this is these can be great taster events uh, to help people that get into a mindset of, A, attending a small group and, and being in a relationship and seeing what it's like. And if we're, we're, we're good to our Wesleyan roots, we have levels of small groups. And so this is a good taster event to get people to go to go deeper. So I think there's I think there's a lot of good here. So I, I'd like to hear um, hear from the listeners what your experience has been um, as well. Because like I said, mine's been uh, pretty slim so far, so I look forward to hearing from others. One of the other things I heard from Talbot was that 
one of the, the and I appreciate his vulnerability here of saying one of the things he learned was not to be a copycat church when he mentioned his his church crush, and, and I think we have to be true to our culture, right? If our if our culture is not invitational, we have to realize that. Or if our if our our culture is uh, we live in a a suburb and people are busy, we might have to figure out ways to do small groups that uh, other churches may not have those, those same challenges. So be true to your culture was something I definitely wanted to highlight in what Talbot said. Uh, something else was that pastors need to be involved in small group ministry. I think that's uh, 100% true. You've heard that, heard me champion that before, um, that it's, it's not going to happen without uh, a champion uh, of the of the senior pastor. And that doesn't always mean the senior pastor has to lead the group. They don't have to be the facilitator in the group. I think Talbot's right. They just de facto by being there, people will look to them for leadership, but I don't think that always means you have to be the facilitator. Uh, one of the last things I'll mention that, and, he, and Talbot was right, uh, that they don't mention politics and who they're going to vote for from the pulpit, and that's, that's true. Um, but in some future episodes, we're going to explore how might we have conversations in small groups well, especially as we look forward to the special called General Conference in February of 2019. What are some resources and ways we might help churches to, in small groups in particular to, to have those conversations well? It's certainly one of my convictions that I think as the church, this is an opportunity for us to, to be a witness to the world of how we might disagree but love one another in the midst of that. So uh, just just some uh, looking forward there of some upcoming episodes. Um, as always, I hope you'll reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Rev Scott's Tweets, also at UMC Adult Form for adult formation. You can find more information on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And I want to thank, um, I want to thank Blake, Blake, our, our technical director, Matt Carlisle, our web producer, and Steve Horswell-Johnson, our executive producer. And until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.